Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, we're joined by Dr. Paul Chamberlain. We're going to be speaking about insights on my site on the Myopia Podcast. Optometric Insights Media proudly presents the Myopia Podcast, where we give you the latest myopia research, clinical topics, and industry insights. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all of our awesome myopia content. And now to our host, a massive myopia manager himself, Dr. David Kading. Well, thank you again for joining us for this episode. Today, we're joined by uh, Paul Chamberlain, and uh, Paul works with Cooper Vision and has been uh, the brains of the operation, by and large, with his team uh, around MySight and what's uh, come about it. Paul, it's an honor to get to have you on the Myopia podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. Good to catch up. Yeah, likewise. Paul, give everybody a little bit of a background of uh, how you got into uh, into eyeballs and uh, how this all evolved uh, to get to where you are today. Oh, that's going back a ways. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm an optometrist. So, yep. uh, I, I trained at City University in in London um, in the late '90s, and after a few years. In practice, I uh, I saw a small little classified advertisement that said simply contact lens research, no Saturdays. Um, <laughs> and at the time, I had a season ticket for Chelsea Soccer Club and uh, wasn't able to go to many of the games. So I went, oh, I like contact lenses. Why don't I take that up? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, I went, that was a job with uh, a professor named Michelle Guillon who did a lot of contact lens research for uh, contact lens companies. And so I did that for a few years. I also worked at Eurolens Research, which is Philip Morgan's research unit at the University of Manchester, really kind of doing general contact lens research for industry. Uh, So, you know, contact lens research studies that you'd see in the the trade and peer-reviewed press. Um, and then an opportunity came and I was, as those years progressed, I really became fascinated with contact lenses as a product and how to make them better and really wanted to get into the industry side. And so, uh, an opportunity came up for a job at Cooper Vision and, um, and the opportunity to move from rainy Manchester to sunny California didn't meet any objections in the family. So, um, so <laughs> that, that took me about... 13, 12, 13 years ago to Cooper Vision. (laughs) And I I worked on a lot of research projects, including My Day and My Day Toric and um, and Avera Vitality. And uh, and then the one-year data came in from the MySight study, and and it was pretty clear that I would need to focus my time on, on that study and that project. And so I, I wasn't here for, I hadn't quite emigrated when the original protocol was being developed, which tells you how long these things take to get off the ground. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, as soon as the data started coming in, we realized that the result was significant enough that we were spending a lot more time on it. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe if you don't mind, can you give us a little bit of, uh, of the background of the MySight lens and how... You know, it first was uh, was was designed and created for myopia management, and how how that kind of all came about. Yeah, so the um, I think it's well known that the original design 
um, was developed by John Phillips, uh, another British optometrist based in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, I think Cooper Vision uh, had long been interested in the area of controlling the progression of myopia. Yeah. And were actively searching for technology and, and the Philips design was one. And so there was a partnership and ultimately a licensing from the University of Auckland of that technology. And, and once that was um, licensed, Obviously, that was on the basis of a, of a, of a relatively, in myopia control terms, short clinical study. Mm-hmm. And so CuperVision obviously realized that in order for this to be a product that really helped to grow the market, that even back then, so we're talking 2010, 2011, that they realized right. that there would have to be a large-scale multinational clinical study in order to, one, prove that it worked over multiple years and obviously two to meet what we predicted would be the various regulatory hurdles to um, to actually get it indicated for the slowing of progression of myopia and so um, so from that original uh, discovery of the design to then scaling it up to a day disposable material as well of course um, and uh, and, th- and then a large scale clinical study. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, what was it kind of in that one year data, that data that started to come out, that um, really sprung you into action? And uh, what were those early studies kind of like that uh, you started saying, "Hey, this is going to we're going to now launch this as a as as a product uh, worldwide." And uh, you know, not to mention, and we don't even need to get into this because this is a whole five-hour podcast of alone getting it through the FDA uh, in the process of having to do that, which Cooper really spearheaded that for being the first myopia product in mm-hmm. the United States. Um, but how did that all come about? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, so the, the, the results were obviously incredibly strong at one year. What were we, and so forgive me if I don't get the numbers exactly right, but something like 0.4 of a diopter and I think 0.15 millimeters or something like that. Yeah. Uh, difference between the two groups. In what we knew as well was an incredibly well-controlled, well-run clinical study. So we, so you, you've got a combination, I think, of a pretty big effect at, at year one in a very well-run clinical trial running multiple centers. Um, and so... That was really, I think, the driver for. Um, it, it sounds like we weren't paying any attention to it. We we're paying plenty of attention to it. But <laughs> sure. the one year data, you've then got something to actually dig into and understand, and so on. Whereas while the study is being set up and children being recruited, there's not much on, on the industry side that you can do. Just wait for the results. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it was really the combination of the size of the effect that we were seeing, plus the confidence that we had in this data that, that, that made us start to talk about it more um, and realise that, yes, this is going to be a product that we're going to be able to launch. And so, but then, of course, you still have to wait because, you, you again, there's been plenty of studies that have shown an effect after one year that unfortunately don't, don't continue into years two and year three and so um you know you have to understand you know is is this effect broadly across the population and then ultimately you're looking towards okay 
when is our next um, point where we can confirm that this effect is continuing, knowing right. that we would need three-year data at least to um, take on the FDA hurdle that you alluded to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you had that data uh, around the world. I mean, my site was launched in other countries before it was in the United States. You gathered that three-year data. And what were some of the things that uh, seemed to really stick out in that data? And then ultimately, you know, we're going to get to the six-year data, which is pretty exciting. Um, mm -hmm. But this three-year data that was like, yeah, we've got something here. We, you know, we can move forward with the FDA. Yeah. So, um, so the European launches happened after the two-year data, and so we were already confident that this effect was continuing to accrue. When we were looking at different ages within that study population to check that that. Uh, effect was sort of fairly consistent um, and, and around the time of the two-year data the FDA had a, um, uh, a sort of an open workshop uh, on managing myopia and when you look back at the transcripts of that workshop you know the criteria that they had for us rang uh, rings pretty true to that. So they were expecting, well, the workshop was concluding 0.75 doctors or thereabouts of an effect or 50% continued over multiple years and so on and so forth. So, you know, the, the framework of what might be an approval was sort of identified somewhat in, in, in that panel or uh, open workshop meeting that they had around the time of the two-year data. So um, we had some idea of what of what it would need to be in terms of um you know what really stands out so obviously meeting that threshold um was something that we were really focused in on with the three-year data and and again you know and it feels almost like a lifetime ago now but again <laughs> some of those things that were you know question marks in the field is yeah are you still going to get accrual over years one and years two and years three are you going to see a commensurate effect not only in the spherical equivalent slowing, but also the, in the actual length slowing? And obviously, um, the correlation of axial length growth to spherical equivalent progression is really, really strong in the three-year data. So those are the sort of things that we were really latching onto at that time to say, we as an organization and responsible uh are confident in this data because you're seeing you've got because think about that spherical equivalent and axial length correlation that we saw that's four different clinical sites multiple children um with you know two different instruments at each of those sites being measured by different investigators and then those two results are absolutely correlating right there's every reason for them not to line up like that you're talking about young children being measured in different parts of the world on different instruments but they lined up so well and so that was just a sort of another um another signal that this data was really strong and, and, and really reliable um, so that was good. The other one, and it gets talked about a lot, I think, at that time on the podium, was when I looked at the number of eyes or the percentage of eyes that hadn't changed by a quarter diopter spherical equivalent. So that was 41% in the MySight group, 4% in um, the ProPlay group. And so 
that to me was like, wow, that's nearly half the population. And we you haven't clicked the Feropter in three years. Pretty impressive. That's that's very impressive. It's it's almost life-changing for people mm -hmm. who uh you're thinking about that this population of people is gonna have high risks for these major, major conditions. And we didn't even change the Feropter and the alignment with axial length for those yeah. of people who say you can't do myopia without you know axial length well you showed that evidence too for those of us who didn't have axial length and those of us who do uh pretty pretty impressive data now now the six-year data came out what a year ago or not even a year ago at the academy last year and or so but this was pretty profound data too not just for my site if i may but also it teaches us a lot about what happens in myopia because you've got a huge group of people that you've been studying for a very long time, just observing those that were in the control group and what was happening to them. You, you, and, and, and I know I'm getting ahead with all these questions, but you also studied what happened when we switched them and how did they respond, right? So yeah. just go on and tell us about this incredible results that came out in this six-year data. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you're right in just highlighting the fact that it's six years, right? And and a lot of people have a lot of questions about myopia control, myopia management, and what we do and we don't know, whether that be in regulatory agencies or in the scientific communities, and that's understandable. And actually, it's probably a good time to point out that you know the MySight study is the first one to go this long so it's not surprising that there's still some unanswered questions mm -hmm. simply of the maturity of some of these trials so I think right there to know that that um, the, the effects that you're observing are continuing through multiple years I think as you rightly allude to is important for all of us then taking myopia management to give, to give you a confidence that this is not an you know a, a short term effect. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't an an easy decision when we extended the study, you know, and there was plenty of questions at the time as why not continue the control group, the placebo group? Like you've had a really well controlled clinical study. Um, and why not just keep it going and see what the difference between those two groups would be after six years? And we fought long and hard about that, and um, and sort of in conjunction with the clinical research organisation that was helping us run the study and so on. But really yeah. decided that you know we had proven the effect of slowing the myopia progression, and yeah. that and that and maybe we use the word ethical too loosely, but we didn't feel comfortable basically asking these parents and frankly didn't feel that when presented with a new consent form where you have to detail what you know so far, <laughs> that they would even sign up for three more years of the, of the control group. So we made that decision to switch um, the, the control group into the MySight lens at three years. And perhaps thought, you know, oh, we've really missed an opportunity to go more than 075 diopters in terms of the effect size. But I think, as you allude to, we learned so much more. And, and one of the key things for that, and again, think about how likely this is in the future. How likely are you to have three years of really diligently collected axial length and spherical equivalent 
data on a group of young myopes without intervention and then intervene in the current climate, right? To be able Are to we going to ethically be able to do that ever in the future now, knowing yeah. what we know? I, probably not. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so related to that, of course, you get to start to learn, at least in this population, in this age group, something quite important in terms of, because it's a population, so there's some fast progressors and there's some slow progressors and there's some medium progressors. And so how, how do different progressors respond when they get fitted with my site? And, um, and so in that six-year paper is an analysis of that where we simply plot progression rate um, against in the first three years untreated against then against the second three years where they're treated and actually what we see is that that growth rate in the second three years under treatment scales in proportion to their prior progression rate and so basically that that group fits a line of of uh, just over 70% that you've got age wrapped in there. But what it does tell us actually is that, um, that the faster progressors benefited the most because they had the most amount of slowing. So the ones that were progressing the most without treatment slowed the most in treatment. Mm-hmm. And actually the slower progressors, although they're, dioptric amount of slowing isn't that high because they weren't that high to begin with virtually stop progressing completely right so so you're you're showing that in fast progressors you show a percentage reduction in the progression the whole population there's a percentage progression yep but in slow progressors not always but you're nearly halting completely Yeah. yeah yeah Well, that's pretty profound. It's hugely because obviously the faster progressives are the ones that we're really worried about hitting high myopia and all of the associated complications. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a proportional effect model, let's just do something really simple. Let's just say it was not 70-something percent, but it's 50%. Someone that's progressing by two diopters a year is going to slow by a diopter by half. And someone who's progressing half a diopter a year will slow by a quarter diopter to just pre- um, progress by a quarter diopter. So the benefit for the latter person is only a quarter diopter and the first person is a diopter. It's still 50%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, that, 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 that is pretty profound. But did you, did you show when you pulled out those two groups individually as opposed to a, a, a total for the whole group? Did you find, and maybe you already said this, but did you find that the faster progressors had uh, what percentage of slowing? It was uh, everyone slowed by um, 71%, right? So that's the fast and the slow. That's the, that's, that's the trend line that fits the entire population for the whole population did it yeah. did it yeah. shift when you when you pulled out the two groups to be different no no it, it, it's 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 one consistent relationship and but of course 71 percent has to be contexted by the fact that they're three years older in part two so your, your yeah. data from part one, they're progressing much faster, but they're also much younger. So I wouldn't really call that, hey, my site 
in that, in that new group has a 71% myopic control because some of that slowing would have happened because of age anyway. Yeah. But it, yeah. But it, but it happens to everyone. But the, the results of that proportional slowing to prior progression means that the faster the progressors, the more dioptrically or millimeters they slowed in the second yeah. part of the study. Yeah. Was there anything else in, in, in all of this work that you found uh, fairly profound? You know, I think um, some of the most important things, I think, is some of the most simple, and that is the lack of adverse events, the lack of any slit lamp findings at all, and the really high rate of acceptance um, of these children over six years, right? So I've not really done a full literature search, but I, I would certainly bet that obviously six years is the longest continuous study of children in contact communities. Yeah. It might even be the longest study of any population, respectively, in contact lenses. I don't know. I can't think of one that's longer with a, a group of patients of any age, let alone yeah. children. And so, um, so I, I think if you, you know, there's low, high rates of acceptance, low rates of adverse events, and low rates of any bimicroscopic findings. I, I can't remember the exact figures. I, I put it in some of the presentations, but. When you think about the poor investigators of this study, you know, and you've got visits of baseline dispensing one week, one month, six, 12, right. 18, all the way through yep. six years, and you're looking at palpebral hyperemia, corneal vascularization, et cetera, et cetera. There's something like 27,000 grades were made across those six years, something like that you know, across all the different sites and all across the different population and visits. 27,000 27, opportunities to grade something, a three or a four, on, on a grading scale that we all use for contact lens studies or, or sometimes even in practice where a three or a four is, hey, maybe I'll take them out of lenses for a few days, you know, just let things quieten down a bit. Five times out of those 20-odd thousand opportunities was a three or a four found. So these kids are wearing contact lenses with no issues at all. And, you know, I think there's so much you can take from that in terms of the, the you know, there's the strong safety profile of day disposable lenses in kids, the high rates of acceptance, because the kids in their day-to-day -day life aren't really thinking like, yeah, I can really tell that my axial length isn't going as fast as it did last year. So this, this is totally worth it to me. They're thinking right. about their life wearing contact lenses, the freedom that it brings them and so on and so forth. And I think those results are really important. And again, it's sustained multiple years, you know, that the benefits are far outweighing the risks at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing your insights. I mean, I, I, I think we could talk quite a while with you about this, but uh, in interest of your time, which I sure appreciate, uh, We'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you for uh, joining us. It's been awesome chatting with you, Paul. And you, David. Great to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Again right. And thank you Take for joining us for this episode of the Myopia Podcast. Uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Like and subscribe so you can hear other great content on the Myopia Podcast. Mm -hmm.
This podcast was brought to you by Optometric Insights Media. If you enjoy our content, please leave a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe for more great episodes.